Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Barrier, and I'm here with my man, Sean Crane. What's up, Sean? What's up, my man? How we doing? Good, brother. Good. So I got to meet, uh, or actually, I guess we didn't actually formally meet, but I did get to hear you um, hear you speak at Tommy's event, which was a pretty moving story. And, um, you know, so I'm pretty excited about how this conversation is going to go. But first, why don't you... Just give everybody a little bit of rundown of folks that may not know who you are, a little bit about who, who Sean Crane is. Yeah, so my name is Sean Crane, uh, Peak Performance Coach. So I have a company called Unstoppable 365 MFR, a self-mastery program for men that want to crush it in life, right? Mindset, fitness, nutrition, relationships, business. We cover it all. Uh, I'm a keynote speaker, best-selling author. I got a crazy story. I came here, not the traditional way. I didn't go to business school. I wasn't born to a family that taught me how to run a business. Uh, you know, I grew up in a really beautiful place in Santa Barbara, California. Wanted to be a professional athlete. I watched Sports Center every day at school. I played sports all every recess, every lunch period. I all I thought about was being in the big leagues, you know. And I was playing all the sports, and then my home life started falling apart. Man, I realized my parents were both heavily addicted to drugs and alcohol, and they were barely holding it together. In fact, most of my life, I lived with my uncle Mike as well. And I just kind of thought that was normal. My dad's family was very close. He had a lot of brothers, one of seven boys and nine children total. So I had all these aunts and uncles and cousins around. We were, the loyalty was big. We were very close, but there was a lot of dysfunction. And that dysfunction started to really corrupt my life and seep into my life around 10 and 11. And I saw horrible things, man. I saw my mother overdose in front of me multiple times. I saw her and my dad fight. Cops started coming to our house and my whole world just fell apart. So that's like the quick, you know, two minute, uh, you know, breakdown of where I come from and, um, you know, what I've dealt with early on. I, I, I'll give you a chance to answer some questions before I just ramble on them. No, that's great. Um you know, recovery is a part of my life as well. Uh, and it's been a little bit of a rocky one in that, you know, I, I quit drinking a little over 14 years ago, but uh, about six and a half years ago, I started smoking weed and weed was really not my thing. Dude. Like cocaine was my thing. Drinking was my thing. And so it was a slow bleed though. And and what happened is it got, I I, I got away from the recovery program that, was, that I'm a part of currently and got away from God and really just effed a lot of stuff up, just like it would have been if I was drinking, to be perfectly honest. And we've all heard the, the phrase dry drunk. Um, and that's kind of what a, what it was for me. So 
Is so is recovery part of your story or no? Yeah. So, you know, when all that stuff happened at home, uh, fast forward to when I was 14, my dad got arrested. Uh, he had a standoff in front of all of us with the cops. He had a gun and I thought he was going to die. I thought he was going to get shot right in front of us. He didn't get shot. He surrendered. They ended up sending him to state prison. And then shortly after that, my mom just stopped coming home. She had this new boyfriend. She was completely strung out on drugs and really lost her mind. Drugs ruined my mother and it broke my heart. And I was so devastated. I didn't know how to cope with that pain. I didn't know how to heal or move on beyond those moments. My whole world was just shattered. And so I started smoking weed. I started drinking, started taking pills. All of a sudden, I'm fully addicted to all these different substances at the age of 14 and 15. And it went that way off and on all the way to 23. You know, I I could not see life without, I, I could not see a life for myself without being intoxicated or numb to some substance because that's the only thing that helped me to get through the day. If I really sat there and thought about what had happened in my life, I'd want to hang myself. It was, the pain was that horrendous. And I never thought about suicide. I was just in survival, finding ways to cope and try to get through life. And so then at 23, I was arrested at a party where we were all drinking. We were doing cocaine. We were doing all the drugs and everyone there was partying. And this huge fight broke out and I was uh, accused of a crime I didn't commit. I was accused of a stabbing that took place in the midst of this huge fight that I didn't commit. And I was charged with attempted murder. So at 23 years old, my whole life was very close to being over. And that's when I changed my life. That's when I made the decision to get sober and to be my true self. And I was really able to heal in my jail cell and let go of all the pain and resentment I had towards my parents. I cried in that cell. I wrote letters to them. You know, I just like shed those layers, man, That, that la- those layers of trauma and shame. And I think it's because I knew I was up against such a massive challenge that I couldn't, I couldn't win this fight if I was going into it compromised like I had most of my life. It was almost this survival thing that took place inside of me. I said, I got to let go of the past. I got something even more daunting in front of me. And I did. And when I, when I forgave my parents, and I made the decision to get sober. My whole life changed. So when we drag around, I think this is kind of what you're saying here. When you, from at least from my experience, when I drag around the past, whether it's a regret, whether it's you know, it really does hold people back. And I think the release from that is pretty massive. Uh, so really quick, walk me through like. What the hell was going like when that happened, right? I'm sure some of that's probably a blur. Um, walk me through like how many, how much time, did, how much time were you looking at, and how much time did you do? I was looking at life, like the max sentence was never getting out, and I ended up being um, convicted of assault with a deadly weapon, and I was sentenced to six years, uh, technically seven. I was supposed to do six, I did five and a half years because. I, I had good behavior and all these reasons why they let me out early. But I mean, in the moment when you're facing life, it seems surreal. The first couple months in the county, it was the worst nightmare you could ever imagine. Like the worst words don't even compare to what, what I was experiencing, you know? And uh, I was getting high in the county. I was, guys were coming in with stuff and I was using it because it worked in the past and it was working in the moment. Like I was forgetting about what was happening. And then, 
you know, there's a couple incidents in there and I got moved around. I got moved to this isolation cell. And that was the first time I really like looked myself in the mirror. I was like, what the hell happened to you, Sean? This is not who you are supposed to be. You're not, I'm not a prison guy. I'm not a jail guy. I'm not a, a criminal. I'm not a, a drug fiend. I'm not an, a bad person. I, you know, I tapped back in. To, like my whole life, I knew that I was really the kid that loved sports, that just wanted to befriend people and have fun. And I wanted to push myself. I loved competition. I wanted to be the best at anything I tried. And I loved, like, that's who I am, you know? And I lost that kid for a long time. And so in that cell, I just made a promise I was going to be, be my true self. That's when I made the commitment. I was like, I, I can't continue to do the same things in here that led me to this horrible circumstance. Like, I have to change. And, you know, I was in that moment, man, I was coming off of like meth and all these pills and my skin felt all nasty. And I'm looking in this scratched up mirror. It was something out of a movie scene, you know, and I just felt like death. Like I wasn't hungry. I couldn't eat. I was starving at the same time. And it was just this moment of, of like, you know, it was just epiphany. It was this moment of sobriety that hit me. It was like, wow, you have to change. And I did. I changed my life from that moment forward. It was a deep internal commitment that I've kept ever since. In fact, I've, I've had 11 years of total clean time as of the 1st of January, almost 12 years without a drink. Um, and dude, my whole life is transformed from making that decision. It's a struggle, though. It's a struggle getting past that. It's not even a comfortable life, really. It's, it's pretty uncomfortable chasing all those things. And I've been down those roads, the road of everything you just described. And it feels like it's, feels like it's something that, well, one, it's really hard to see past, you know, whatever that thing is that you're after. It's hard to see a life with it, life without it. And a lot of people don't have the mindset to get there. And, and I think certain people are blessed with that. I think, or maybe it's sheer determination and it turns into mindset. I think there's probably a little bit of both there. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is. You know, I know that some people have more grit, determination, and willpower than others. You know, I, I credit my ability to make that change. Uh, playing sports growing up, it instilled that discipline into me. And But then I lost it, you know. And out of high school... I worked for my uncle's tree service company and I'd be showing up hungover. I would smoke weed on the site. I would even drink sometimes. I would take pills, but I worked my ass off. I was the lead foreman. I would climb these huge trees all day long. I would do really good work. I took pride in my work ethic because I have my uncles here. All these men are watching me and I wanted to do a good job. So no matter how I felt, I showed up and I worked hard. I outworked everybody. I really did. And then I'd go party and rage at night and chase girls and drink and do what I did. So I had that work ethic. I knew I had forged that willpower in some form. I just hadn't applied it across the board in my life because I hadn't dealt with the trauma. If we can't accept 
the things that cause us to feel shame and guilt, we're going to try to numb them. And this is the biggest thing that I'm seeing in society right now. If you guys listening, whoever's listening, if you want to crush it in life and have the most success ever, this is the number one way you have to. Stop doing things that you regret. Okay. Stop doing things that you think about. Oh, I should have done it this way. Oh, I should have got up early. I should have went to the gym. I shouldn't have had that drink. I shouldn't have stayed on my phone so late. Whenever you do things that you regret, you put yourself in that emotional state of shame and regret. And the next thing that happens, whether it's conscious or unconscious, is you crave something. You, you have an urge or a desire to, uh, to get something, to consume something that's going to check out and help you numb that feeling. A lot of people use their phones and they don't even realize. They start scrolling on content, watching this mindless YouTube crap and they, they think they're just looking for entertainment, but something happened that's leading them to numb and check out. A lot of guys that nobody talks about this struggle with porn. They use porn to check out and numb themselves. Or we, we do what we did, drinking, pills, weed, you name it, right? Um, and so this is the biggest problem in society right now. And the reason why p- people can't get into a place mentally where they feel like they're, they're tapped in and they're crushing it. It's because they're habitually doing things they regret and they feel shamed about. And then they try to numb that feeling out. And so the coolest thing is when you study the frequency chart and like a lot of these like elite thinkers in the world, and uh, I'm reading this really good book, Letting Go. Uh, I'm trying to think of the author's name. I think it's, uh, I don't want to butcher his name, Letting Go. Anybody that's listening, you got to read this book. It'll change your life. But they're talking about human beings emit a frequency and energy based on your emotional state. And regret and shame is like at the very bottom. And when you're in that state of shame and regret, you want to use things to numb it out. You don't have inspiration. You don't have energy. Doctors will tell you you're depressed or you're anxious. Um, you're just, you're not going to have clarity and be able to really tap into your higher self, you know? So the, when I was able to let go of all the pain and all the trauma and all the anger and resentment towards my parents, I elevated beyond that state of shame and guilt. Then I remember when it happened, it was this huge weight lifted off my shoulders. And suddenly I didn't know this was happening, but I had all this freed up energy to channel into better things in my life, my truth, my purpose. Right. And so you'll, you'll know when you're, when you elevate beyond that, you start to feel uh, more clarity of inspiration. You feel something different inside of you, you know? And so this is the, the best way that you can achieve a life of success is you have to align yourself every day with who you want to be. Everything you do from the moment you open your eyes, you want to go to sleep at night going, damn, that was a good day. I'm so proud of myself. Like I did everything I did. I gave my best effort. I did all the things I said I was going to do. And if I live that way every day going forward, I know I'm going to get to somewhere really cool in life. And that's all I did in jail for 2000 days. And I got out and guess what? I was a different man and I believed in myself and I had a track record of showing up for myself. And I said, well, what do I want to do with my life? I felt like I could do anything because I wasn't, I wasn't sabotaging myself. I was building myself up, you know? So if anyone's watching or listening to this and you feel like you're stuck or struggling, I promise you, if you can just commit to doing the right thing every day, you're not going to be perfect, but be honest with yourself about who you want to be, make the commitment to make those changes. If you start doing that right now, I promise you in five years, you're going to have the most beautiful, amazing life. You're going to make more money. Your health is going to be better. Your relationships are going to be better. All the stuff that we try to force and attain and get, it starts to just materialize because you become the person that can create those outcomes. A hundred percent. So a couple of things. One, I think people are addicted to that feeling as crazy as it sounds be addicted to the feeling of that emotion that takes them to the place they want to cover up i think that's one thing and then also i try to think about 
what is my future self going to say? Like, is my future self going to be happy with this decision, whether it be eating a Twinkie yeah. or or no? The, the answer is no, my future self would not be OK with that. So why do it now? Right. And if you could think about out, think outside of the box and think about it that way, then I make better decisions. Right. And, and 100 percent that. Go ahead. That awareness is so powerful. If you could do that moment to moment every day and you're honest with yourself, that awareness is life changing. It, it really is. And what does it do when you're not honest with yourself? If you break commitments to you, if you say, all right, I'm going to, you know, everybody's January, whatever it is right now. And, you know, half society's filling up the gym and it drives me absolutely nuts. The, and, and those promises, what I hate about it is. I know what those promises they're going to do to those people because they're not going to fulfill what they say they're going to do. And I I just think that sets you up for failure. Like keep your promises to yourself. Ed Milet talks about this a lot. Um, If you say you're going to do something and then you just don't do it, you're, you're just setting yourself up for failure. You're lying to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard for people to change, right? Um, Breaking promises to yourself is the best way to lower your self-esteem. Right? It's the fastest way to increase your self-esteem is to keep those promises. But it kind of goes back to what, what you were saying a second ago. So like our brain is really uh, likes patterns and likes consistency. That's how we form habitual pa- uh, habits, right? Habits and habitual ways of living. So, you know, every time you look at the phone or you have that drink or you eat that food, you get a spike of dopamine. And over time, your brain, your brain loves dopamine. You love dopamine. That makes you feel happy for the moment. It makes you feel at ease. So we know that there's certain ways that we can create that dopamine spike. So when a person goes to the gym on January 1st, they don't get the dopamine spike. They're like, this sucks. I'm tired. My body hurts. I, you know, this is killing me. There's no dopamine spike. So they're trying to, you know, muster up willpower they don't have. And they go back a couple more days and, you know, finally like, fuck, why am I doing this? I don't like this. This isn't fun. This isn't easy. Meanwhile, at night, they're still checking their phone. They're probably still eating certain foods they shouldn't or maybe having a drink. They, and their brain knows they're getting a dopamine spike there. So they go back to what's known, right? The hardest way for men, especially over the age of 25, like after 25, your brain and the way that you function is just cemented in place. You know, it's really hard to change your programming. But there's only three ways. Traumatic experiences like I had, novel experiences, like being around new people, getting in new environments reading, changing your mindset that way, or repetition. Uh, A lot of people can't utilize repetition initially because they're weak-minded and they don't have the habits built. That's why they're making New Year's resolutions. So they need to seek out novel experiences or something that's going to shock the system. That's the only way most people can change. Otherwise, it's going to be two steps forward, three steps back, two steps forward, three steps back for their entire life. And they're never going to change. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with finding that novel thing. There's nothing wrong with with even like you can gamify this situation if it if you're more apt to do something based on who you're around or fill in the blank. Use that right as long as it is going towards your your overall goal. Um, you mentioned you've mentioned that you you know you work with a lot of men. Have you read no more no more no more Mister Nice Guy? No, I think I've heard a lot of people refer to that book. I've never read it. It's pretty interesting. Um, in in it talks about how 
you know, I, I know for me, going through school, majority of my teachers were women, right? I grew up with a mom. Majority of my teachers were women. My parents split when I was 12. So really, I, I, I it, it talks about how, I guess, how society is now because we are taught by women for the majority, especially the first seven years of our life, is pretty much all women. And I think that has an effect on how how we turn out. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, it could. You know, you're, the way you're raised is, is really important. Um, it has obviously has a massive impact on how you develop and your beliefs and just kind of like the way you carry yourself. I, I think, you know, we need strong men to create strong men. We need to be taught and led by people that we want to be like. We need to have that example. So, you know, just because guys go to school, boys go to school and they have a women teacher, they have a mom at home, they still should have a male role model. And boys are always going to gravitate and want to be like their male role model. It's just an, it's innate in us. We're not going to want to be <sighs> silence. We're not going to want to be like like mom, like we love her and she, but we don't connect with the same thing she likes. We don't want to do what she does. We want to go out and hunt and kill shit and hike and like be men. You know, men and women are very different in certain ways. And that's just the way we naturally are. And I think we just need to embrace that. And like, you know, young boys now growing up, they got to, they got to be tough. You know, they got to be taught to be tough and strong-minded and have good character and good morals. They need to be taught how to be respectful. They need to be shown what it's like to really treat a woman the right way and, and treat people in society the right way and carry themselves uh, with a certain conduct. That's lost on the world. You know, my oldest son, he's my stepson, he's 13. The way he's starting to behave because of the kids at school and the stuff he sees, I'm very aware of what he's watching on YouTube, what he's being, um, what, what he's seeing, what he's being subjected to. The sad thing is we don't have ultimate control over it with all these devices and all this technology. So it's very important early on that we instill the right the right beliefs into our children. Like that's something I'm very passionate about right now because I think it's just, it's under, it's it's not being spoken about enough in society. And I don't think people are doing a very good job at preparing the younger generations for their future. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. It is hard. I think it's probably, I mean, maybe it's just because, you know, I, my, my daughter is 14 and a half. So like very similar to the age of your son. And it's really hard well, I'll just be honest with you. Like, we don't have any control over this stuff, and we can tell them to do the right thing, and we can put parameters in place. But ultimately, I've had to realize, like, I have no control over it. I, I have no control. I can lead you down the right path. I can explain to you the right way to do things. But ultimately, you're going to do whatever you want to do. And I did the same thing. And that's been a hard pill to swallow for me. Yeah, no, no, it is. It is. And, you know, it depends on how extreme of measures we want to take. You know, like my 13 year old doesn't have a phone when he's with us. Um, he doesn't like that. All his friends have phones. You know, this I mean, if if you really want to go extreme, you, you can you can move away. You can isolate your kids. You can go to extreme measures. Is that the result? Is that the <clears throat> answer? You know, maybe not, because like, should we have to go to those measures and those lengths? to protect our children. You know, I think it's a societal thing and it's a complicated thing as well. But my, right now, my, my three and four year old, they want to do everything I do. Every time I go to the garage, they want to work out with me. They want to count while I'm in the ice bath. 
everything that I do right now, they're soaking up like a sponge. So I just want to be the best example for them, pass the most love to them that I can and hope when they grow up, they want to be more like dad than this fucked up world we're living in. Cause I don't know. I don't look around and see a lot of great examples and leaders right now, not in the government, not on TV, not in um, sports, not on social media. I think that, you know, people are just doing things more for entertainment and to be liked and to get views than to like, I think we need to get back to morals and integrity and high standards as individuals. I, I think we're missing that drastically right now. And so that's the man that I'm going to be for my family and for the men I coach and lead and all my messages out to the world, because I know that that leads to fulfillment, happiness and harmony, both in the household. And then obviously there's a ripple effect that takes place in our communities. Yeah. So what are you finding as a commonality amongst the men that you work with? What are you finding that maybe they struggle with the most? What is it that you work with them? Yeah, I guess that's the question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's expensive to live right now in certain places in the country. And you have to hustle and work really hard in certain industries to make money to take care of your family. So like in California, where I live, I live in Santa Barbara. It's, I think, the second most expensive place in the country. Uh, you know, rent for a home or an apartment, like a person working a regular nine to five cannot afford that, you know, and then you have the mom and dad working, they can't afford that. So, you know, a lot of the guys that work with me are business owners and they're in the trades or they're entrepreneurs trying to make it. And they've just neglected themselves. This is what it comes down to. They're so worried about providing and making money and taking care of the family. They've neglected their own health, both physically and mentally. So they're actually bringing a lesser version of themselves into their workplace and home. And a lot of times you'll see this affect their stress levels. They'll they'll gain weight or they'll have low energy. Uh, they don't feel the same. They don't feel like they can kick the door down and take over the world. They lost that spark, that drive that they once had. And so it, they they reach out when they know that things are getting bad. Like maybe something's happened in the marriage or they're just not there for the family the way they want to be. They're not healthy. They don't feel as good as they want to be. So I help them get their mindset dialed in their their bodies in the right shape they need to be in and teach them about nutrition and all the right habits that we need to form every day to help us feel and be at our best. And then it's also simple. Like, what are you doing that you know you shouldn't do? And they'll tell me, I need to quit smoking. Uh, I drink too much. I eat this crappy food. What do you think happens when we eliminate that stuff? And then we add in a couple positive habits. It's like this massive breakthrough takes place, this massive transformation. And it wasn't that difficult, but applying those things with all this other stuff going on in their lives is difficult. So the fact that we have an app that they follow and there's a blueprint every day where they just check these boxes and they do the action, there's weekly calls and there's other men that they can relate to who are all doing it together. Now they have a community that's conducive to their growth and who they want to be. They have support and accountability every day and they're not trying to figure it out on their own. We fast track them and then we hold them accountable. So that's the main thing right now in the the mindset, fitness, and nutrition program that I run that we're working on. So a couple of questions. What's the name of the app? Yeah, so the app is, it's my brand. It's Unstoppable 365 MFR. You can only access it if, you, if you're working with me. It's not something you can just go buy on the Apple store or the, like okay. Apple or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. So let's, I, I've been, uh, I've made a lot of nutrition. I used to own a hormone clinic and I used to be a trainer. So like, I, I know what to do, uh, but I've uncovered I think a hidden gem um, recently is a guy named Gary Brecca. Do you know him? Oh yeah. Yeah. Gary's dude. Gary's awesome. I, 
I literally text them all the time and talk to them. I just did his, his genetic test. Um, I met Gary when I was speaking at an event. We hit it off. I was speaking. He was speaking. And dude, like that guy is a, a genius. He needs, those are the type of people that need to be running our country, right? Like he needs to be in charge of health for the whole country. If we wanted to have the healthiest, most productive American citizens, he would be in charge of our health department, right? Um, I did his genetic test. I just did the, the 86 hour fast that him and Dana White did. I literally texted him. I was like, hey, can I do the cold plunge while I'm fasting? He's like, yeah, that's cool, but don't do any exercise where you get your heart rate up. And he was giving me all these protocols. So he's he's amazing. Dude, I, I, yeah, I've watched almost every piece of his content. Like, I'm just absolutely blown away at the information that he gives about our food. And it's just stuff that, dude, like, unless you know who Gary is. I don't know if anybody else is talking about this, but I know Gary is talking about it. And I know... Based on everything that I've listened to, he knows his shit up one side and down the other. And I just don't think a lot of people have any earthly idea the garbage that we put in. I, I just don't think they know. Um, but I believe that, you know, I believe that guy is making huge, huge. Um, I don't know, dude, he's, he's blowing up and I'm really glad that he's blowing up because. I mean, I feel like I feel sort of silly because like I, I was in the industry for the longest time and everything that we were taught is really not a lot of it is not right. A lot of it's not right. Um, the the vitamins like it's pretty incredible. I'm waiting to get my test back as well. It should be back any day now. So did you have you gotten your results back? No, we just sent out our genetic test, the, the swab, uh, yeah. my wife and I. So I got it from my wife and I. And that's the thing, like when you when you do your own blood work and your own genetic testing, you know what what you need, what I need, what certain individuals we need different compounds or nutrients based on our our body type, right? So that's the future, being able to very, get very nuanced in understanding what your body needs, all the way down to the food you eat, um, you know, sleep, all that stuff is super important. Yeah. Like some people can function off less sleep. And they'll put content out about why you don't need much sleep. Other people, they do need more sleep. Like they can't function at the high level that they want to be at with less sleep. So everyone's a little different. And my thing is like, I love self-optimization, self-mastery. Uh, all that stuff's really exciting because it can help you to live longer, have a better quality life way into the later years, like 80s, 90s. I'm going to run a marathon when I'm 90. You know what I mean? Like that's the mindset. <laughs> Dude, and, and and at the rate we're going, and and the stuff that he's talking about, we might be living to 140 at that. You know, by the time we get get there, like it's it. I really do believe there's such a massive change if you have the information, um, and you put it to 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 use. I think we're going to be living a lot longer than what our average. I don't even know what the average lifespan is, but I know it's probably not past 80. I think we're going to live way further than that if, you know, if we stay on this path. And and once you get the information, dude, it's really, it, for me anyway, I I can't deviate. Like, I, I know now all the vegetables are, you know, have shit all over them, pesticides all over them. Like, I can't not yeah. wash the vegetables at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's scary. I mean, you got to try to get organic food and uh, 
you know, free range chickens and stuff like that, uh, beef that's not pumped with a bunch of antibiotics. And then the water that comes out of your, your sink and your shower heads, you got to filter that because we absorb most of our toxins in the shower. Like people don't realize your skin is your biggest organ and it's porous. So it can absorb, uh, you know, a lot of stuff when you're showering, all these toxins, all this stuff that's, that's in the water your body is absorbing that into your, you know, into your organs are affected. It's in your bloodstream. It's in your tissues. Uh, you know what I did recently? One of my clients, he actually owns a company that uh, like a um, water filtration company. So he told me, Hey, look, put your area code or your zip code in this website, go on this website, put your zip code in, and it's going to show you all the toxins in your water and how much above the limit they are not the legal limit, but like, um, there's a, there's a couple different criteria. Like one is okay. Things shouldn't be, like, this is deadly. Uh, this is like harmful to your health and this is above the legal limit. So anyway, I did it and my water had arsenic. It had God, all this stuff. I mean, and some of them are like 200 X what they should be. It was insane. So when I saw that, I ordered filters for my shower heads and all my faucets. I don't want my kids bathing in that water. That's how a lot of people end up developing cancer early on, leukemia, all these young people, um, brain tumors, all these preventable, uh, you know, deadly diseases. And then things like ADHD, uh, um, anxiety, depression, all these issues with our emotional state. That's all we're being poisoned. These are toxins affecting the way you operate. And then a lot of the stuff with kids' sexuality, people don't talk about this or link the two, but it's like all of a sudden we have all of these kids who are confused about their sexuality. Some people say because they're seeing it in the media and they're hearing about it. I think a lot of these kids are actually feeling this way and they don't know. And I mean, if you study what altrazine is, altrazine is one of our uh, most prominent pesticides in the country. We spray all our, our vegetables and everything that is grown in the United States. And when it rains, that stuff gets put in the soil. And then eventually it makes its way back to streams and, and, you know, rivers and then big bodies of water. And they've tested bottled water and there's still 40% uh, of the bottled water has altrazine, you know, and then all the water that comes out of our faucets, it's contaminated. So one of the main uh, symptoms of that pesticide is affecting hormonal regulation in young people. And it even talks about studies and tests they've done on animals and it, it affects their sexuality when they're going through that puberty state uh, or that, you know, for animals, I don't know what they call it. But I believe this is why you see a lot of young people confused about their sexuality right now. I think they've been I, I really think they've been poisoned. I think they've been poisoned by plastics and pesticides and pollutants in the atmosphere, in, in the environment. And I think it's fucked them up. That's my opinion. I, I I agree. Um, I don't know if I thought about it quite that deeply, but as you say all that, it makes complete sense. I do wonder, you know, I wonder if people, even if the people that are listening to this, there are going to be some people that are like, these two guys are fucking, they're ridiculous. Like this, this makes no sense. There's no way that's the case. Um, but it's a hundred percent like the pharmaceuticals that are in the water that was that was a, that was news to me like i don't think i really knew and i sure as hell didn't know about the chlorine like i think yeah, i mean yeah uh, fluoride you know what i mean uh just all this stuff it's important to educate ourselves whether you agree with my opinion or not like it's just important to do our own research and due diligence not jump to conclusions um but 
understand that most of the stuff that we see in the media and the information we're given is filtered or misconstrued. And usually years later, either the truth comes out or we realize that that information was misleading. So I'm open-minded. You know what I mean? I try to read a lot. I try to study. I try to do my own due diligence. I try to listen to people that I, I believe in. Um, but we don't always know what's going on, man. And like, there's so many issues out in the world, uh, whether it's, you know, young kids, sexuality, politics, all this stuff, like the way I am, I know, and I'm aware of all this stuff, but I don't spend a lot of time and energy worrying about it. I focus on what I can control today. I can be a very good human being. I can give out my best effort, energy, and my love to everyone that I come into contact with. I can strive to be an example for my family and for people who follow me on social media. I'm going to continue to strive to get bigger and better results to show people what's possible. And like, that's it. You know, what I have control over, it's not a lot. It's my thoughts and my actions. So I almost have tunnel vision, man. Like I almost, I don't really even talk about that stuff that much because I don't think about it that much. I'm focused on this moment and what's in front of me and how I can be the best person today. Yeah. So I do want to go back for a quick second. Um, when you got out, um, I know that you made a lot of changes while you were in. My guess is, and, and I could be wrong about this, but my guess is life wasn't super easy as soon as you got out because you had a lot of hurdles to come to get past with the charges. Like I'm a convicted felon, so I get it. Uh, you know, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Did how was that when when you got out? Did you think you know I'm going to crush it? Like I'm going to crush it. Here's my you know your mindset was set. Did it work out that way as soon as you got out, or what was the process? Of over, yeah, or that process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, getting out was just as much of a challenge as going through prison. Honestly, like when I got out, I was really excited, but you get hit with a lot of like fear, and you start getting nervous and worrying about how things are going to go. And there's a lot of pressure. I now I have to rebuild my life. Like I just went through this whole ordeal, and I I, I did good. I overcame all the obstacles. Now I have this whole new obstacle in front of me. And so when I got out, I was staying on a in a trailer on my aunt and uncle's property. I had $200 to my name and nothing else. And remember, I was just like, fuck, what am I going to do now? You know? <laughs> and I was working for my uncle, the same job I did before prison for the first two months. And I hated every minute of it. I knew in my heart, I wanted to coach. I wanted to speak. I wanted to do what I'm doing today. But how the heck do I get here? Where do I start? You know? And so I remember I reached out to an old contact and I knew he did personal training in the gym and I told him about, you know, what I did in prison to rehabilitate, where my heart was, what I wanted to do to help people. And it just so happened he was looking for another trainer to bring on board and to delegate some of his clients to because he was growing. And he told me if I got certified, he would consider hiring me. So I took the the NASM test. It's like all these yeah. essays, all these different right tests and um, a final basically like um, exam. And I, I did it in two weeks. I locked myself in my aunt and uncle's uh, in, in their office. It was like a little closet office. And I just studied like crazy. And so I let them know, Hey man, I, I'm certified. Right. And then right when I was set to come down there and work with them, all these uh, wildfires broke out in California that year. And so my uncle almost lost his property. All the properties on the street were burning down. We had to evacuate and we went to this Airbnb. So now I'm displaced. I'm you know, I have like a bag full of clothes and no possessions to my name. And then rainstorms, this crazy rainstorm came through and caused mudslides in Santa Barbara that year. And the US 101 North was shut down. A lot of people died, like the mudslides literally covered their homes. There's this really wealthy area called Montecito where all these rich 
wealthy people live, movie stars. Uh, Prince Henry just moved there. All these homes were devastated by the mudslide and the US 101 freeway was shut down. Man, this is how badly I wanted to change and succeed. Like I wouldn't let anything stop me. I remember I'm sitting there in that Airbnb and like, fuck, man, what am I going to do? This isn't the way it was supposed to work. I have this job. I got certified. I just can't get out of here. Like I'm stuck in this little bubble now because all the roads are shut down. And one of my friends, he flies single engine Cessna planes. He's now a pilot, but back then he was training to get all his hours. He would do sunset tours in Santa Barbara. Right when I came home, he took me up in his plane and took me over the ocean, just like a welcome home present. So I literally called him. I'm like, Nick, are you flying your plane right now? (laughs) Like what's going on? I'm stuck in this area. I need to get to Santa Barbara. All the freeways are shut down. And he had been shuttling people back and forth who worked in Santa Barbara who were stuck. You had all these executives, hotel managers, and all these people. And he's like, man, I've been shuttling people back and forth in the morning and in the evening. If you meet me down at the airport at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m., I can bring you with me. So I packed all my stuff. I didn't have any place to stay, no car, nothing. And I flew in with him to Santa Barbara. And in the plane ride, he looks over at me. He's like, hey, man, so where are you going to stay? What are you going to do when you get there? Like, dude, I don't know where I'm going to stay. I'm just going to the gym to, to meet up with TJ. That was my friend's name. Talk to the owner of the gym and make sure I can train clients there. And that's it. And he's like, dude, you're crazy, man. You know, um, my dad has rooms for rent, actually. It's crazy you say that. Uh, he rents out rooms to college kids, but right now they're all gone on break. He might rent you a room. You should go talk to him after. And so we land and go right to the gym. I met the owner. I told him the truth about where I came from. I was hungry for a second chance. I wanted to give back and serve and help people. And he was a cool guy, man. He looked me in the eyes like, I can tell you're motivated. I trust you. You can train here. And so now I had the job. And then I went with my friend Nick to his dad's house and he had a room and I gave him all my money. I had like seven, I had like $900 to my name. I gave him 700. I gave him all the money I had that I had saved up in that little bit of time. And then I I raced over to my uncle's uh, mechanic. He had a junkyard and I just showed up. You know what I mean? I'm like, Jim, what's up, man? I know that you fix up cars and you sell them. I need to borrow a car. I need to, to buy one. Like, what do you got? And all the cars he had were like 2,000, 3,000, 1,500. He wouldn't let me use it until I had money. But there was a, a Honda Civic and the whole rear end was smashed in. It was just beat to shit. And he let me borrow it for two weeks, man. So I had a car, a place to stay and that new job. And the next morning I was literally at work. I parked that beat up car around the corner. I never let anyone see me drive it because it was that bad. And uh, I trained my first client that next morning. My first client was a sheriff in the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department. I didn't know, but he knew right where, who I was when I walked in. And he and I built a great relationship, though. I helped him lose a bunch of weight. And I started building up a positive reputation in Santa Barbara. People knew I was back. I'm like, dude, Sean's doing good. He's focused. So eventually, I left that gym, started my own fitness company, in-person training. And I was getting clients all over the county, bouncing from gym to gym to gym every day, making more money. And then COVID shut all the gyms down. So like all this happened in the first two years, man. And when COVID shut the gyms down, I had my wife, Jessica now, my baby girl, Scarlett, who was just born, Mason, who was like doing Zoom for school and we were all during, in COVID, you know. And then my wife was pregnant again with Preston. Like we didn't waste any time. So I lost all my money and clients overnight. And in that moment, I had $1,400 to my name and a family to feed and take care of. And that's when I, I was like, God, like, what the heck, man? Like, I thought this was going to be the easy part. I went through prison. I did the right thing. You know, I came out a better man. I'm sober. And uh, I almost called my uncle back and asked him for a job. You know, I was like, I was like, dude, I'm, I didn't make it. You know, I tried, but I didn't make it. I need a job back. 
but I didn't. I said, fuck that. I'm going to go all in online. I'm going to share my story with the world. I'm going to write my book. I'm just going to, I'm going to go all in on this vision. And I did. And I remember online, I started getting clients. I started building my business. My book became a bestseller. I started getting speaking opportunities and I just never looked back from that moment, man. And that was like the defining moment that was either going to lead me to this life today or lead me to giving up on my dreams. And I chose to believe in myself and to go all in. And if I'm not mistaken, I might thank you for saying all that. That was, that was super cool. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way you got on a lot of these stages were through sheer grit, through constantly putting yourself in the position. I, I think, I think Tommy Mello is the one that actually maybe told the story or maybe you told it on the podcast or you told it on somebody's podcast. I think that, uh, I think it was you that you called. I guess you called, you kept showing up, you kept showing up. And eventually it was like, I mean, you're like, you're just like, I, I, I think, is it, am, I, am I remembering yeah. that right? Yeah. Tommy, Tommy and I spoke about it on his podcast and then he mentioned it when he called me up on stage. Yeah. I'm just relentless, man. Like I know in my heart what I want to do. I know that I have value to share. I feel like what I went through was such a impactful and tram- a transformative experience. I want to share with the whole world. I know that I can change everybody's life. Like 99% of the people in this world right now, I feel like I can help make a positive change, you know? And so I'm just driven, man. I'm driven to serve and make an impact. And yeah, I I literally would call Tommy, text him, build a relationship with him. And I always let him know, put me on that stage. I'm ready. I'll, you know, I'll deliver. And the same thing with like Victor Rancor. He's a good friend of mine. I spoke on his stage last year. Uh, All these guys that I'm able to build relationships with, they know my story. They see me on social media, but then when they see my consistency, my work ethic, my dedication, uh, you know, I, I shine for all the right reasons, man. And it's like, I have this saying, the work I put in in the dark allows me to shine in the light. Like all those years and days and lonely nights of doing the right thing in prison, I would be doing thousands of pushups and squats while everyone else slept in the morning before breakfast. All those prayers, all those moments of reading books and journaling, like some people would be like, what's it for? Why were you doing that, Sean? Why'd you do that? I knew, I knew in my heart that if I did the right thing there and I maximized my days and I didn't make excuses, it was going to lead to a better life. And it has. And a lot of times that's the test for all of us. Can you stick it out long enough to reap the reward? Some people have it and some people don't. What's the, uh, really quick, the name, what's the name of your book? Uh, Prison of Your Own. So my book is Prison of Your Own. I'm on Facebook, Sean Michael Crane. You guys can reach me there. Um, and, and I'll give away a free copies too. So listen up. Sean Michael Crane on Facebook. Uh, on Instagram, it's Sean underscore Crane underscore official. Send me a DM. Say free copy of your book or any takeaways from this, this uh, interview. Uh, I engage with all my followers. But if you want a free copy of the book, it's yours. Uh, it talks about being incarcerated for something you didn't do, the traumatic experience that I went through. But then I was able to shift my mindset to look at it as an opportunity. And for anyone listening, if you feel like you're negative and your self-talk, you're self-defeating, you let things in life like beat you down and hold you back, this book's for you. Because I'll teach you how to leverage all those experiences to become more driven, more focused, and get better results than you ever have. Those are assets waiting for you to utilize, but you got to learn how to utilize them. So send me the DM and I'll give you a copy of my book. That's perfect, dude. That was was great, brother. I really, really appreciate you um, you know, sharing all that information here today. I think people are going to get a lot out of this. Uh, I had no doubt this is going to be a great conversation. Uh, and I appreciate you giving away the book. That's super cool. 
And uh, otherwise, people should find you on Facebook. It's the easiest way to get a hold of you, right? Yeah, Facebook, Shawn Michael Crane. I mean, you can go to the website. I can share the links with you. But the easiest way is social media because you can talk directly to me. Uh, Facebook, Shawn Michael Crane, S-E-A-N. And then Instagram, uh, Sean underscore Crane underscore official. Shoot me a DM. Shoot me a follow. I'll always be the one corresponding with you. I answer all my messages. Appreciate you, my friend. You too, brother. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.